Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's December 8th, 2020, as we are recording an emergency episode of this podcast reacting to... The news of the Chicago White Sox making some off-season acquisitions already in the virtual winter meetings. With it being a virtual setting, the White Sox have been far more active during the virtual winter meetings than the actual winter meetings last year in San Diego. First, they provided a pretty big surprise to everybody around 11.30 Central Time on December 7th at night, so close to midnight, by trading for Lance Lynn, the starting pitcher from the Texas Rangers. It came at a high cost in exchange for Dane Dunning, who flashed potential in his starts during the 2020 season. And it does raise the question, is six years of control with Dunning worth the one year of Lance Lynn? And why did this trade happen now and not at the trade deadline in 2020? We'll answer those questions in this emergency episode of the podcast. But this afternoon on December 8th, the White Sox made a signing to address the right field position. And they are bringing back an old friend, Adam Eaton. Yes, Adam Eaton. The right fielder the White Sox traded to the Washington Nationals for Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, and Dane Dunning has rejoined the White Sox on a $8 million guaranteed deal one year for $7 million to cover the 2021 season. And there is a club option for 2022 at $8.5 million for Adam Eaton. And there is a $1 million buyout if the White Sox do not pick up that club option. So no matter what, Adam Eaton's going to make $8 million with the Chicago White Sox 
based on this deal. And he is part of the right field solution that we could only assume means that the White Sox are going to be entering 2021 platooning Adam Eaton and Adam Engel in right field. So how do we feel about these two moves? Well, joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. I thought we were done with Adam Eaton. And I guess the lesson learned from the last podcast when we thought we were saying goodbye to Carlos Rodon and Nomar Mazzara for good. Um, maybe not because the White Sox have a difficult time of letting go. Especially with players who have worked or like they invested a lot in or, or briefly saw glimpses of. I'm thinking like Gordon Beckham coming back too after it seemed like it was a bad idea just to, that they should move on. Yeah, it's uh it's a tough move to, I think, for a lot of people to accurately access uh, or, or just, uh, just I, I guess, uh, assess, not access, uh, just because it's, there are a lot of factors, a lot of elements, a lot of um, things that might matter, a lot of things that might not. You have his poor 2020 performance, which, you know, a lot of players had poor 2020s because of either injuries or lack of preparation or everything else that was going on. You have all the stuff that happened the last time he was at the White Sox. You have his, you know, kind of checkered injury history. You have his checkered personal history. Around that, you have a guy who does, you know, on paper, check off a lot of boxes that the White Sox need when he's fully functioning. The question is, is he actually fully functioning? And, you know, does the White Sox clubhouse with a new manager who uh, is not allowed to talk to people right now and the White Sox aren't talking about him uh do they have enough leadership and a a a solid enough clubhouse to absorb the problems that Eaton has occasionally introduced or exacerbated there's just a lot going on and the White Sox historically have not been strong or deep enough to deal with all this that's why I think it's had the reaction that uh, a lot of people have had in four seasons with the Washington Nationals Adam Eaton played 310 games and had a whopping war total of two wins above replacement in 310 games with the Washington nationals. Adam Eaton was worth two wins above replacement in the three years that he was with the Chicago white Sox, which spanned 433 games. uh, So one fewer year, but 123 more games played. Adam Eaton was a 16 war player. So there's a part of the white Sox Because, again, the White Sox got the best of Adam Eaton. From 2014 to 2016, Adam Eaton was very good. On this show, between Jim and I, we've spoken a lot of words in praise of Adam Eaton on how well he played for the Chicago White Sox. A five-war season in 2014, a four-war season in 2015, and a a six-and-a-half-war season in 2016. And he was really good. Since then, he's not good. And he's often injured. And when he's not injured, he's below replacement level. And the White Sox, Jim, just gave him $7 million. And he's going to make at least $8 million guarantee with the club option buyout. And I already can, on December 8, 2020, I just wanted on record, I'm in favor of the White Sox paying him that $1 million buyout after the 2021 (laughs) season uh, to move on. And this is where it's frustrating. Adam Eaton is not a good answer to the White Sox right field woes. 
He's just not. I, I wrote the column this past weekend on SoxMachine.com looking at the left-handed free agent pool of hitters and who could be good options for the White Sox, the positives and negatives for all these options. I did not include Adam Eaton because Adam Eaton's not a good idea, Jim. This isn't a this is a dumb idea. It's not a bad idea. It's a dumb idea. And I don't understand what the logic is or trying to follow the logic that the White Sox front office is going with and bring Adamine back. And I'm I'm not going to blame put the entire onus on Rick Hahn because now in addition to trading for Lance Lynn, I am beginning to question Jim, who is actually making these personnel decisions for the Chicago White Sox? Uh, it doesn't matter. It like, would I mean, just <laughs> reaffirm my biggest fear about hiring Tony Larusa from the start, that he would overpower Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams because he's Jerry Reinsdorf's best friend. And if Larusa wants this guy and Hahn says that's not a good idea, it does not fit with my plan, Larusa is going to get his guy because Jerry wants to make Larusa happy. Uh, you know, at this point, just given, I, I think that's one of the things I'm most tired of when it comes to following the Rick Hahn era is people trying to figure out how to divide blame between Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and Jerry Reinsdorf. Just at this point, you know, I just figure if nobody's resigning and everybody's staying put, it is what it is, which is just like a, um, just a strangely functioning front office. Well, it's and, just middle and, management and, corporate world, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, anyone that's working at a corporate job that's listening to this right now, you know exactly what this feeling is. There's this VP or director within your company that probably shouldn't be in that role that feels like they're being undermined by their bosses, but they're the bosses of other people. And they're supposed to be making decisions and they bring up good ideas and they don't come to fruition because somebody else thinks that's a bad idea and you don't move forward with it. That's what Rick Hahn is. Right now, he, I feel like he's just a middle manager and he's got the general manager title. We haven't heard much from him uh, in weeks, especially in light of the Tony La Russa DUI case. Uh, and I'm sure we'll hear from him soon after the White Sox officially announced the signing of Adam Eaton and the trade of Lance Lynn pending physicals for both of those before they're announced. But as far as I have a feeling we're, we're right back to having topics that we discussed in 2015 Jim when it comes to who's actually making these decisions whose ideas these are I get your point that it doesn't really matter let's just lump them all together but if this is Tony La Russa and if La Russa is saying these are the guys that I want in the clubhouse this just kind of adds to what I thought was already a bad idea from even considering him and the fact that they have moved forward with this is just reaffirming my fears from the very beginning or why hiring LaRusse is a bad idea and bringing back Adam Eaton. It, it, it's not a bad idea. It's a dumb idea. And that's just how I feel about this signing. And it's a terrible amount of resources spent by the Chicago White Sox. Like if you don't like money, I understand $7 million is not a lot in baseball, but it is to the White Sox. If you don't like money and you like pissing it away, I'll give you my Venmo or PayPal and you can just send me money every week. I'll be happy with that. I, I will spend that money in ways that will make me happy. But 
paying Adam Eaton $7 million as a 32-year-old outfielder and hoping that you get, what, 100 games out of him in 2021? And I'm sorry for this rant, but I'm just venting at this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just, <laughs> it's just dumb. This is one of the dumbest moves the White Sox have made in recent years for me. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I guess when you bring up like middle management and such, it just seems like the White Sox front office is designed to deflect blame away from individuals. Like, uh, you know, Kenny Williams is there to take heat off Rick Hahn for bad moves. Rick Hahn is there to say a lot of words you know, and, and restate premises of questions, but not necessarily give uh, nutritional answers to uh, uh, pointed uh, inquiries about uh, just what he's doing or the moves he's made. Everybody is designed to deflect blame off Jerry Reinsdorf and keep him shielded from the public. And now here comes Tony La Russa to take heat off <laughs> Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn because he was Jerry Reinsdorf's idea. So it just seems like it's a circular uh shield for everybody and nobody can really no one criticism or attacking one person ultimately keeps everybody else from taking immediate heat and i think that serves everybody's purpose well uh i i think the one the one thing about larusa here with eaton is that like well i i, I saw before we started recording that uh, I haven't heard it myself, but I saw at least from a couple of people that Adam Eaton hung up on ESPN 1000 when he's asked about playing for Tony Larusa and whether Larusa would, uh, uh, you know, be uh, you know acquaint himself well to young players. It's you know it's a case where I I think you know it's a bad start for you know just. Eaton warming himself up to Chicago media again when that wasn't really necessary. He, he had some uh, detractors, especially in sports radio side. Uh, I think it's probably a decent move for, um, you know, introducing himself to his new boss and, and not getting himself in trouble because, you know, Eaton's had problem with words. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea for him to hang up rather than start uh, either defending Larusa too strongly and pissing off fans or, uh, uh, you know, not saying enough and, you know, pissing off Larusa. I think it's probably smart for him to just like uh, hang up or bail out then and then try to thread that needle with words when he hasn't done that well. But I think Larusa maybe the one thing I, I will say about him, and we talked about this before the DUI charge, because this is how I was kind of talking myself in this not being a the world's worst idea, is that Larusa at least has a history of strong leadership. And, and the problems that Eaton introduced uh, with the White Sox was with Robin Ventura being there, and Ventura was just not a manager. And especially after things piled up, and you know he was not a manager to take control of a negative situation. He was somebody who just basically got swallowed up by the circumstances. Larusa, for better or for worse, doesn't seem like that guy. So at least that's one different element. You know, Larusa may uh, steer it into a different ditch, but at least be new scenery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I steered into a different ditch. That's pretty funny. Well, it's not a silver lining, but what are the expectations for Adam Eden in 2021? Like, what would be a good season? For me, it's games played. If he plays 100 games, then you got your money's worth. I don't know what those what the performance is going to be for 100 games, but in the last four seasons, uh, well, in 2020, he played over 40 games of the 60-game season. Uh, so we can say as far as the majority, in the four years with the Washington Nationals, he's only really played two seasons, and then there was two years that he was dealing with severe injuries. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I would assume games played, assuming that they don't keep playing him through 
underperformance or you know injuries or anything like that where you don't want to see him for 120 plus games. Uh, I, I think that's probably a good barometer. Um, you know, when he's healthy and fully functioning, he's like, yeah, I, I was looking at his uh, baseball reference page to see what he's done. And yeah, one of the things that most impressed me about him with the White Sox was OBPs three years in a row, 362, 361, 362. Like when he's healthy, you generally know what you're going to get. And even his full season with the Nationals, he had a 365 OBP. So he uh, he's, he's a low variance player when he's healthy. And the low variance is generally, uh, or, or I guess the, the production he... Uh, gravitates around is generally the production the White Sox could use both, uh, you know, in its, just basically the, its shape of it and even his limitations are tailored to where the White Sox can both use it and shield himself a little bit, assuming that Adam Engel is a, a guy who can hit lefties and step in. Just the problem with the White Sox, I think, you know, and, and the reason why I think a lot of fans are uh, salty about this and the reason why I'm not a fan is just because they're not, they haven't been smart or good enough at assessing these small cost controlled or, or, or cost centric one year, two year deals to get their money. They generally get what they pay for. And I'm thinking like Yonder Alonso is like the last one, uh, you know, I can, I can think of where just kind of the same feeling to where he's not bad, you know, and he was terrible at the White Sox, but when they signed him, like he's not bad, but he's not good for making him such a high priority. And, and, you know, clogging a position where they really could have thrown some upside in there, whether it's, you know, George Springer as a full-time solution, whether it's Jock Peterson as a exciting platoon solution, just like there are ways to inject more upside into that position. Instead, they, they make a move that has some upside, but also has a lot of flags and uh, generally is just like somebody they don't want to pay more for. You know, he's somebody who's not expensive. And Mark Feinson of uh, MLB.com said he eaten at a half dozen uh, teams interested in him. And that's partially, you know, maybe that's good because other teams see a rebound opportunity or it's maybe bad because a lot of teams don't want to pay a lot this offseason. And Eaton isn't a bad use of $8 million in a year because, you know, worst case scenario, you, you just eat the contract. Uh, best case scenario, he's like, not bad for $8 million. But just like that's the White Sox just setting their sights that low after, uh, you know, making a move like Lance Lynn, who's exciting. You know, like a generally, uh, a genuinely good, exciting move. It just brings back old mistakes like Yonder Alonso, like all the patches they signed after trading for Todd Frazier. Just... They have a way of uh, thinking they finally solved how to not spend a lot of money and get good players. And Rick Hahn's history, even last year, Yasmani Grandal, great. Dallas Keuchel, great. All the smaller signings, pretty much terrible. And yeah. and, and that's what we're dealing with here and, and how we're trying to negotiate this and not sound entirely embittered. And it just doesn't make sense to me, Jim, because this is this is a repeat of last year, though. They traded for Nomar Mazzara when you had better right field yeah. options available. You just signed Adam Eaton when you have better right field options available again. And we'll 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 see because Bob Nightingale, the mouthpiece of the White Sox front office of the USA Today, is reporting that the White Sox had interest in Michael Brantley and Jock Peterson. What do you mean had interest? Is that interest already gone? Because they need another hitter mm-hmm. to replace Edwin Encarnacion. So what what's the plan there? And maybe that could be where the White Sox surprise us. Maybe that's where the money will be spent. 
uh, on Marcel Azuna. Uh, or let's just, you know, continue with the American League Central theme. Let's try Nelson Cruz if the Minnesota Twins aren't going to bring back uh, Cruz into the fold. And we'll see how the Twins like having Nelson Cruz hit homers against them. There's a part of me that kind of wishes that happens because I'm petty. Um, but it, the money will be spent. After the whole Manny Machado losing out on him and the, and the, the fallback on that, uh, and you mentioned as far as Grandal and Keuchel, in a way that was money being spent, but it wasn't like the marquee signing to really bring this entire rebuild together. They still haven't had their John Lester moment if we continue to compare rebuilds between the White Sox and the Cubs. The White Sox still haven't made that marquee signing, Jim, and there was that opportunity with George Springer, he's still out there. But for XYZ reason, the White Sox are just not interested in him. And instead, they go the route of Adam Eden. And I have a fear that we're going to watch Jock Peterson excel, kind of like how Nicholas Castellanos did with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, the White Sox watched Marcel Azuna sign a one-year deal with Atlanta to be a top three MVP vote getter in the National League this year and just have a tremendous season. And the White Sox end up cutting, non-tendering Nomar Mazzara when they made a move ahead of the market for right field. And I just have a feeling in a calendar year from here, we're going to have this same damn conversation, Jim. The White Sox jumped in front of the market in right field. They signed Adam Eaton. One year later, they buy out Adam Eaton. And now they have to go find another right fielder for 2022. Yeah, it's, you know, with right field specifically, it's just been a case where um, it came up on Twitter. And, you know, I won't... Uh, mention the name just because I don't want to like throw anybody under a bus or like, you know, kind of light anybody up on a podcast, just, you know, more raises the point where just like, you can see how Eaton works and you can see that like, if he's healthy, he's, you know, provides better OBP than, you know, the, the other left-handed outfielders and he's better against lefties than Jock Peterson. And he's a better defender than Michael Brantley. And, and it just, you can kind of just match him up against the various free agents or, you know, trade targets, non-tenders, uh, available players and say like, well, Eden's better than this guy in this area. And it's just like, yeah, that's true. But it's also like, if you just sign, if you just like size up Eaton against players flaws and say like, oh, he's better than their worst quality. That's not really saying much. And it's just a way to keep that bar low. Like, you know, they had Daniel Pawkin just like, well, you know, he strikes out a lot, doesn't have OBP. So here's John Jay, who's you know, old and potentially like, you know, injury prone, but he's also like somebody who's, you know, a credible right fielder with, uh, you know, a good bat non-base percentage. Then he gets hurt and he provides nothing, you know, no defense, no OBP. And then here comes Nomar Zara. Like, well, he's, uh, you know, he's been frustrating, but he provides more power than Jay did. And, you know, now that Jay's, uh, you know, broken down with a hip problem, like Mazzara's defense won't look that bad. And then Mazzara comes up, he does nothing. And now here comes Eaton saying, uh, well, you know, he's better than Mazzara will do. You know, even though Eaton's coming off a down year, he's had a history of providing, uh, you know, you know, uh, better OBP and defense and almost as much power as Mazzara historically, uh, assuming he's not broken down. Like just, you know, just, you keep just measuring against the low bar and barely clearing it, you keep paying over and over again for guys who ultimately don't solve the problem. <laughs> At this point, you're wondering why you didn't pay $30 million a year for 
Bryce Harper because you're paying, you know, now you're running up the tab to, you know, 15, 20 million on guys right. who did nothing for you. Right. I, you want to move on because I feel like I can keep venting about the White Sox past bad habits still being relevant today. It's like they're not really learning their lesson. Yeah. I, I think it's just worth, you know, just it's worth, you know, Eaton may work out for the Sox. So like, I'm not discounting. I'm not saying that it's impossible. Just like it just shares so many of the trademarks or hallmarks of previous poor White Sox decisions that if it doesn't work out, it'll be, you know, I think nobody will be fooled by it, but just like it'll be making the same mistake like sixth or seventh right. time over. Right. And, that, and that's why it's frustrating. So I guess that's where I'll wrap up. <laughs> I can see how it works. I don't want to be, yeah. And I think as I write about going forward, I will, you know, try to, you know, my, basically my, when I, when I write and, 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 and try to assess something, you know, first guess something, I try to write it in a way that I don't look completely stupid six months later. But, you know, with Nomar Mazar, I remember after that happened, I was thinking like, well, you know, I don't like this move. It, you know, it's, it doesn't seem, it seems like the White Sox are thinking they're smarter than they are. But at the same time, just like I can see how it works out, so I'm going to moderate my take. And then it didn't work out. So it just seems like I sh- this should be emboldening me to really just light the team on fire. And we'll see if I have that in me. <laughs> well, Pinos <laughs> did write the column this past January on how the Nomar Mazara trade could be fine. And uh, it's worth revisiting. So maybe there you go. Maybe we can have Pinos write the column, Jim why the Adam Eaton signing could be fine. And then come next December, we could laugh at how it just went down the same path as it always does because it's so White Sox. Yeah. Well, like the James McCann signing, and I think that's going to be the annoying thing about James McCann. Like James McCann, great White Sox. Uh, but just when it comes to like uh, one-year deals or, or deals everybody hates, like, well, James McCann worked out. I'm hoping that doesn't become the case where he's like the exception uh, that everybody points to and so, you know tries to just use to paper over deficient decision making. But I, you know, James McCann was the catcher I least wanted the White Sox to sign. But I did write a post saying at least he can throw. Mm-hmm. At least he'll help the White Sox in this regard. And so like he threw very well at the White Sox, but he also did a lot of other things. But at least I covered my ass a little bit by, <laughs> by at least finding uh, one good thing to say about it. So I think that's generally my approach when I when I write about these things. But just there, there's just. Uh, a gigantic history the White Sox are throwing in everybody's faces and hoping for a different outcome. I mean, looking at the history, we were expecting the 2016 Chicago White Sox to contend. They needed another outfielder. And instead of spending the money to get Jonas Cespedes or even Alex Gordon to outspend what the Royals were going to give him, even though or, or Dexter, Dexter Fowler. Fowler, they gave Austin Jackson $6 million and he got hurt and it really sunk the White Sox. It was part of the problems for the White Sox in the outfield. And uh, this really feels like the same. You are a team that's supposed to contend in 2021. You got this roster hole in right field. You need more balance in the lineup. And the way you address that is you give Adam Eaton $7 million with a $1 million buyout next year if you don't pick up his 2022 club option. I just don't think this is resources well spent by the Chicago White Sox. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. 
Speaking of resources being spent, I think there is a good debate to have, but I still think this is a good idea, even though it's a few months late as far as making this decision. And what I think is a good idea is the Chicago White Sox have traded for Lance Lynn. I think that should still be the headline, even though we spent a lot of time in the first half of this podcast uh, talking about Adam Eaton uh, and the White Sox past bad behaviors. But here, even though this could turn out to be a Jeff Samarja situation, uh, the, the White Sox trading Dane Dunning, who was really sharp and flash potential with the White Sox in 2020, uh, during his starts, and quite frankly, he outpitched Dylan Cease and Ronaldo Lopez uh, in the quest for the White Sox to clinch their postseason spot, uh, it, along with Avery Weems, who I had no recollection the White Sox drafted in 2019. Uh, they traded both of them for one year of Lance Lynn. Now, I say one year for Lance Lynn because for those that keep asking the question of, is there a possibility the White Sox could extend him? And the answer to that is, Always. If there's one thing that Rick Hahn is really good at, it is contract extensions when the player is in the fold. So I don't want to discount that. I, I don't know what Lance Lynn's aspirations are. It was pretty clear from Jeff Samarja when they traded for him that he always wanted to test free agency. Uh, I, I don't know about that for Lance Lynn. But again, Jim, as far as trying to solidify the starting rotation, Lance Lynn is a lot better than people think. And he has proven that the last two seasons. He finished fifth in Scion voting in 2019. He finished sixth in Scion voting in 2020. And now with Giolito and Keikel and Lynn, I really like the White Sox front three. And especially in this division where the Twins still have Breos and... Um, Kento Mieda and Michael Pineda, if he is healthy, he threw the ball well when he uh, served his suspension. And Cleveland, you know, just churning out starting pitchers that I think the White Sox have a have a, a top three in their starting rotation to be able to hold their own against whatever the Twins and Indians will trot out there in their quest to win the American League Central. Yeah, it's, you know, that, that's I think what's, what makes uh, Adam Eaton frustrating is just like the, the Lance Lynn you know, the, the acquisition, both uh, just what he costs in terms of the acquire him, how much he costs on the payroll, it pointed to making room for something bigger. And I think that's what's annoying about it is that Lynn is, uh, I, I was looking at the same way, like, you know, Dane Dunning, or I, I guess here's another way I'll look at it too, and, and, and just kind of tying it to the, the Adam Eaton thing and just how the White Sox tend to revisit bad ideas. It's like, I remember uh, reading about Dayton Moore after the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, got to the World Series and Dayton Moore, you know, kind of looked at the Rays and said, like, maybe our, um, you know, mindset is that we should be more transactional like the Rays are. You know, just uh, not be so married to your own players and, and not be so, you know, invested in success of players. Try more ideas, throw more uh, things against the wall and, and see what works. And I think with uh, Lynn, you know, you know being traded, trading uh, Dane Dunning for him, just like that's, a good external idea. And uh, given where the White Sox are and how they need to bolster their rotation to compete and avoid a wild card series like uh, uh, crisis again, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a good, you know, strong outside addition. And it's the kind that the White Sox, you know, should 
you know, they, they, they probably should have done last year. It's unclear whether Lynn would have accepted a trade last year. I think one of the uh, things that's uh, kind of uh, curious about this, or at least, you know, you, to bring back Tony LaRussa into the fold, uh, LaRussa loved Lynn when they were together in St. Louis. And that might be a case where, you know, Lynn might love playing for the White Sox and love playing for LaRussa and might be amenable to, you know, signing on for a couple more years after this. So that's a case where LaRussa might be a net positive, assuming Lynn is a positive himself. But generally, I think there's a lot to like about it just because it's an aggressive upgrade on paper that is projectable. And that is the question. Why did this deal not happen at the trade deadline? Well, the Athletics' Ken Rosenthal, he shined some light to help answer this question in his column this morning. And from that column, he reports that Lance Lynn and his agent at Excel Sports Management, Bobby Barnard, uh, informed the Texas Rangers that Lance Lynn would opt out of the season if he was sent to a team he did not wish to join. And this is according to Major League Sources. So let's go back to late August. And I wish that I had known this information before pounding the table that the White Sox should trade for Lance Lynn. Uh, That would have been something if the White Sox struck a deal with the Texas Rangers, with John Daniels, of course, making the shots uh, before they hired Chris Young, who is now the Rangers general manager, the former Royals pitcher. Uh, So this is the first transaction for Chris Young is trading Lance Lynn uh, for Dane Dunning. But if the White Sox had given up more than just Dunning plus another significant prospect and you got Lance Lynn and Lance Lynn decided, yeah, I'm not moving out of Texas during this pandemic, so I'm just going to opt out the rest of the season. I'll see you White Sox in 2021. That would have been really awkward. <laughs> so so I, I think that helps answer the question. I, maybe it's not the prospect cost because that's something that we always keep going back to. Maybe the Rangers ask was too much, but if the major league sources are telling Ken Rosenthal the truth that Lance Lynn was threatening the Texas Rangers, he would opt out of the season. If he were traded to a team he didn't want to join, then yeah, I could understand why a deal did not get done late August, even though the white Sox really could have used Lance Lynn. Well, I think the other thing, too, is that Dane Dunning at the time of the trade deadline was not a person worth trading for. Correct. Like, he, he did not have any kind of profile. Like, he was uh, just had not proven what he looked like after Tommy John surgery. And, uh, you know, so looking at the White Sox, what they had to trade, um, you know, their, their farm system was basically all the guys they needed, Michael Kopech, recent draft picks and like Jonathan Stever, who also really hadn't proven himself after a forearm injury. So they didn't have that kind of middle chunk of a prospect list to deal from. And uh, if that's what it took, and yeah, I'm guessing the price was a bit higher when you factor in a postseason run the year before, but uh, the White Sox didn't have anybody, you know, everybody above Dunning on the list would have been you know, really hard to deal just because they needed the White Sox needed the, the those players for impact and for uh, necessary depth. Uh, they'd be cutting bone if they didn't. That's the one thing when, uh, as the news unfolded uh, last night, and you know, first Lance Lynn traded the White Sox, and I'm thinking, okay, here we go. And then Stain Dunning, and I didn't cringe, uh, not because Dunning is bad. Like I, I was pleasantly surprised by how Dunning looked, um, especially you know, given that his, uh, you know, his, you. Know, he was using his major league debut as a rehab stint at the same time. Like it was very, it was admirable how he pitched and, and how he showed up. Um, but 
at the same time, it's just like going into the 2021 season, I would not have wanted the White Sox to have to rely on Dunning for six months. Um, like if he were part of the opening day rotation, I might have been a little bit nervous just because he hasn't really proven what he looks like over six months against uh, just a uh, full you know, a full slate of opponents and not like the uh, central divisions, which might have been weaker than they looked last year. So, you know, in this case, like the White Sox might be selling a bit high on Dunning and might be just selling why his while his stock is the highest while directly upgrading on the position he held. And then maybe, you know, if, if Lynn is worth holding on to, perhaps the White Sox can strike that deal, you know, with the combination of Rakan's strength and uh, Tony La Russa's presence, assuming they get along. Uh, that might be one way to just turn it into like a Freddie Garcia-like deal when the White Sox acquired him uh, in 2004 and then signed to extension immediately after to uh, kind of soften the blow from the prospect cost they gave up that ultimately didn't hurt them. So I think there are ways to, um, yeah, I think losing Dunning hurts a little bit, but I think directly using Dunning to like get say like a right fielder, like, you know, trade for um, like Austin Meadows or something like that. Like that would have been a case where, you might be, uh, uh, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. You upgrade your outfield, but you lose pitching depth, and who knows whether they have that. But like, you know, using Dunning to get a better version of Dunning, you know, or, or a better version of what he uh, was going to provide, while keeping like an impact pitcher like Michael Michael Kopech in the fold, and hopefully not needing him for opening day either. I think that ultimately puts the White Sox in a strong position that they have to like. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I think from when this deal was made, there was a part of me that was, okay, if you're not going to get Trevor Bauer, Lance Lynn is a good backup plan. He he might be better than every free agent outside of Trevor Bauer. And we know why the White Sox won't go after Trevor Bauer because I, I you know, having Dan Zaborski on, if Zips is projecting seven years, $193 million, yeah, that's just too rich for the White Sox blood. And I think that there's going to be a pretty high bidding war and there's going to be so much guaranteed money promised to Trevor Bauer that he will not be able to ignore that and just go what he said in a book years ago uh, that he would just only sign short-term deals. So I think this is a good fallback plan. If you're not going to get the top starting pitcher in the free agent market, go trade for someone that has finished in the top five in the Cy Young uh, race in the past two seasons and he appears to be strong Jim I know that there are some concerns that he missed the entire 2016 season uh, with Tommy John uh, but in the last two seasons he has gotten the ball he pitched over 200 innings he pitched 208 innings in 2019 and then he led the league in innings pitched in 2020 uh, with 84 so he seems very strong and it helps when you have Giolito Keuchel and Lynn as your top three, it should also provide a side benefit to not only will you have guys that will be effective through at least the first six innings of a start, hopefully, knock on wood, um, but it will help relax as far as the stress in the bullpen. That was really stressed out towards the end of a 60-game season, and with the plans of playing 162 games in 2021, uh, you can't have that happen again. So I, I am in favor of the Lance Lynn trade, and I was pretty excited about the move last night. I 12 hours later, not happy at all with the Adam Hain, uh move. But I, I guess the follow-up question is, okay, so this is one way to start an offseason for a team. Uh, 
where do the White Sox go from here? What is the next move? And to start with that, uh, there better be a damn next move. Uh, <laughs> this is not how the offseason ends. Is just trading Lance Lynn and, Adam, and signing Adam Eaton. There needs to be more because the White Sox have questions at backup catcher. Uh, there are you know, rumors that they could be tied to Liam Hendricks uh, as far as the bullpen. Uh, or do you maybe the White Sox sign another starting pitcher uh, to help out with the depth? So where do you think the White Sox go from here, Jim, after trading for Lance Lynn and signing Adam Eaton? Well, it won't be Carlos Santana because the Royals just signed him for two years and $17 million. So that's a news that just broke. John Heyman reported it. So Carlos Santana still very AL Central, but with a different team. So uh, we'll see what move the uh, Indians make to make up for you know what had been like the end of their lineup. You know he represented the. Uh, I guess they do have a lot of DH candidates so in that in that outfield. So shouldn't be bad. But uh, yeah, I think the next move. Well, if Adam Eaton came back, it just seems like Jose Quintana, who already seemed destined to return to the back end of the White Sox rotation, just seems like may as well just start like getting his uniform ready uh, because he's you know. <laughs> Why not? If they, if they rely so heavily on old talent, just like may as well. And that wouldn't be bad either. That's the thing that's uh, kind of annoying about Eaton is that, you know, Quintana made a lot of sense for the Gio, like a better version of the Gio Gonzalez signing last winter. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that Eaton's back, just like, oh, they're just finding another retread. You know, take some of the uh, uh, sparkle out of that potential move, unless you consider it imminent more than potential. But, uh, but I wouldn't seems... mind that. I would not mind yeah. that signing, Jim. Yeah, especially with Lynn. I think I would have minded it if Lynn hadn't been brought on board and you wonder if you're left to wonder if that's their big move. But as a secondary pitcher move, yeah, it'd be great. Like it just, you know, the Eaton signing or uh, just makes it kind of seem like the White Sox are content for retread. So I hope they bring uh, somebody aboard in between to show that they do look outside their own sphere. Um, I think the right now, you know, if right field settled, I think probably DH or DH centric signing like a, uh, a DH who can rotate in a corner spot. That's why you mentioned Brantley being ruled out. I'm hoping that's not the case, but just somebody in that vein, uh, you know, among the lefties we've been talking about, you know, um, uh, Brantley, uh, Kyle Schwarber's one, uh, Eddie Rosario, just that kind of vein of hitter. I still, still think makes sense for DH, especially if you want somebody who can, rotate in and out of a defensive position, even if he's not somebody who can handle that position full time. Yeah. How do you feel about Kyle Schwarber? Cause again, you can go to socksmachine.com. If you hadn't gotten a chance to read it, uh, I, I wrote a column about the left-handed hitting options in the free agency pool. Part of that is Kyle Schwarber. I, I'm a bit concerned that Schwarber has suddenly just stopped hitting breaking pitches from right-handers. I think that really hurts his overall value as a hitter and maybe will prevent him from reaching that 40 home run potential that we all thought he had uh, when he first joined the major leagues in 2015. Um, But maybe that was just a a blimp on the radar the past two seasons, but it has been an issue the past two seasons. Um, But again, if the White Sox are hoping to add more power, especially from the left-hand side, uh, we know that Kyle Schwarber's got a ton of power, and if the White Sox are finding cheap-ish solutions right now to start the offseason, I can't imagine Kyle Schwarber would be that expensive in the open market. 
It's, uh, you know, I guess with Eaton being a precedent, you know, if Eaton had a lousy 2020 season and the White Sox signed him as their plan A for right field, it would seem like you could kind of, you know, they might find reasons to dismiss Schwarber's weird, bad 2020 as well. Um, you know, they just would be the mindset where uh, we're looking at three-year trends rather than one-year trends, uh, especially in such a weird, uh, you know, unprecedented one year. Uh, I'm not... Yeah, I get it. Uh, I think there is some upside there. That's one case where just I, I get where the payoff is, especially if they can keep him out of the field and you know, have somebody to be a right-handed caddy with him in the, in the spot. Um, it wouldn't excite me, but it would also be like a new face, like you know, just the transactional you know nature uh, that we're talking about with the Rays and Dayton Moore and such. Just like bringing in a new face that uh, you know has some has shown a history of production, but also has a way to maybe optimize it just by limiting, you know, putting him in position to succeed, limiting uh, things he's not good at and seeing if you can get even more from him. Uh, that's what the Rays do best, like bringing in flawed players, but hiding that flaw. I, I think if they brought in Schwarber with a way to uh, say like, well, we won't see him in the outfield much, if at all, and we have a guy who can hit off the bench, uh, hit lefties off the bench, that would be, I, I think, more or less fine. Wouldn't be thrilling, but it'd be an upgrade uh, and, and certainly more upside than Encarnacion had. And, and Encarnacion signing when they when they brought him in, uh, I didn't mind the signing, but I also saw like, this seems like he's just uh, diminishing returns and he's about a year away from, just any year now could just have nothing to show for it. And this was the year he had nothing to show for it. I think Schwarber at least making the kind of power and contact and the ground ball thing he can maybe correct to where... Uh, he can tap into the power and get more use out of it. Uh, and, and that'd be fine. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to give Adam Eaton $7 million and you're going to have Nightingale report that the White Sox had interest in Brantley and Peterson at this moment, I'm just going to have to take Nightingale for his word, Jim, because he's two for two right now uh, with the Larusa and Adam Eaton. Uh, as far as announcements, and I know Chuck Garfine was the first to report the Adamine signing for NBC Sports Chicago. But those two, if you go back to how the Tony La Russa, uh, is as far as hiring began, it, there seems to be this path here on how the White Sox are, like, I don't know, testing the public waters of their imminent moves that they're about to make, which is a, again, very odd way of doing business, but that's kind of how the U S federal government uh, so does their business too. Uh, so it, it's just a bit odd, but if the white Sox are not interested or if Brantley and Peterson are too rich for their blood, which I'm sorry for laughing. It just seems incredibly ridiculous that Michael Brantley and Jock Peterson would be too much money, but if they are, and if you could only spend X amount of money this offseason, I wonder if you give Schwarber $7 million to be your DH in 2021. Also float a club option to give him a little bit of a carrot uh, to see if he comes back in 2022. But that takes care of your DH. You still need to figure out backup catcher. And then what do you make as far as the rumors with Liam Hendricks? Because after before the Adam Bean signing... I thought, wow, that would be, you know what? I would really like that offseason. They trade for Lance Lynn. They sign Michael Brantley. They sign Liam Hendricks. No, they did not get George Springer, and that kind of sucks. But they did make some investments that I think overall do help the team, and logically I understand the direction that they're going in adding these players. 
But now with the Adam Eaton signing, I just wonder if they're just going to be shopping the clearance aisle again. And now I need to lower my expectations of the types of players involved. And that would be, you know, already giving up my two hour dream of seeing Liam Hendricks close games for the White Sox. Yeah, I would think, you know, Colome would maybe come back and be the guy he's been for the White Sox. I think that'd be maybe more likely than Hendricks, but it's, it's hard to tell just because um, with the White Sox and with the way they've, they've spent and the way they make decisions, sometimes they just, they're, they act with a lot of conviction about moves that uh, (laughs) oftentimes nobody likes. Uh, Just, you know, they, they have a lot of uh, confidence in their decision-making sometimes. And they like, they, their results never reflect why they have that much confidence in doing what they're doing. So it's, yeah, at this point, it's hard to tell if they're cheap or just convinced that they, you know, that they're getting and you know, they're signing Eaton for $8 million guaranteed, but he's going to be a $15 million player. Like if they just, the way they, they traded for Nomar Mazzara thinking he was going to be more when they could have paid for somebody better, just they believed in their guy. So they traded Steel Walker for him and it didn't work out. It's, uh, I just, it does make me think that the Lynn move was equally about how little he costs as much as the talent he provided. And they're going to be looking to just patch over positions with uh, non-huge commitments. And I think that's where the White Sox have gotten in trouble many, many years. And that's why I'm really not thrilled about the direction that Eaton hints at and the direction that Jose Quintana signing would also hint at, even if Quintana serves a different purpose. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's... The, the money should be spent and there's really no point in clear-cutting a payroll the way they had and, and tanking as hard as they did to sign, you know, max out at signing Asmani Grandal for uh, $73 million. But if that's where, it wouldn't surprise me if that's ultimately what happened with this rebuild. I would like fans' reaction to that. If the money will be spent, ultimately is the Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel signings Along with, we can add the contract extensions to keep Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, and Yohan Makata. Yeah, I, I would not because those contract extensions enable more money to be spent. True. Okay. If Grundahl and Keuchel end up being the largest contracts the White Sox sign when they said the money will be spent, would you be okay with that or would you be upset? Is it enough or is it not enough? Well, here's really like people's feedback on that. And, question. and here's what I'll say is that if the whites, you know, it's one thing I'm not relitigating the rebuild trades because I don't think, you know, I think they got a good enough return on Chris sale and Jose Quintana and, uh, and Adam Eaton to, you know, not relitigate those trades. Those trades are fine. Those trades ultimately helped more than they hurt and set themselves up pretty well. I'm talking about like in the years after, like if they weren't tanking as hard as they did uh, to clear cut their payroll, they could have signed Lance Lynn. Like, you know, Lance Lynn was possible. Like, he would have upgraded the rotation. He did not come at an exorbitant cost. Three years, $30 million, I believe. Um, he would have been fine for a team that needed pitching the way the White Sox needed pitching. If they signed him then, they wouldn't have had to trade for him. <laughs> you know, to, to trade Dane Dunning for him, they could have had both. If they were, you know, aggressive about useful players in previous off-seasons that didn't compromise their payroll, um, they could have been... Uh, yeah, they they could have you know signed a player like him and also signed Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel. Like you know, like those contracts are not the reason why you clear payroll the way the White Sox did. 
you can sign those guys around other players who are getting paid moderate amounts. Right. To me, the money has not been spent. You spent a little money last year with Grandal and Keuchel. But I think there just needs to be a level of honesty here. If the White Sox, as an organization, have been impacted financially because of the pandemic, and that's going to hurt as far as how much money that the White Sox front office can spend this offseason, maybe we'll get that answer after the offseason because you're not going to publicly say that because that will dissuade a lot of players and agents from even speaking with you about as far as signing these types of players at all. Because uh, you don't want to say, yeah, we can only spend $10 million. That's our cap on each player that we signed this offseason. But that if that ultimately ends up being the case, then we're, we continue to kick the can down the road with this conversation, Jim. And then we go into 2022 wondering, could the White Sox sign this player and this player? And this is where I'm starting to become apathetic because we do this to ourselves. We dream big. And ultimately, the White Sox fall way, way short of even reaching those fan expectations of of bringing in like a George Springer. Like, if the time is not now, when? And I'm starting to think that the time is never, as long as Jerry Reinsdorf is the owner of the Chicago White Sox. That doesn't mean you can't build a winning team. They most certainly did that in 2020. But in 2021, it's going to be the core that will need to do a lot of the heavy lifting. And hopefully Lance Lynn patches up the one hurdle that the White Sox had in game three against the Oakland Athletics in the wildcard round. Uh, and hopefully Adam Eaton plays more than half a season and doesn't spend a lot of time on the injured list and, uh, you know, limits the amount of playing time that Adam Engel uh, has, even though maybe 2020 Adam Engel becomes the norm and carries over to 2021. There's just a lot of ifs right now. And it would be nice that if the White Sox just made, you know, the impact signings and trades that just really solidify and ease any concern. Can this team win the American League Central? And right now, after adding Lance Lynn, I think they have improved their odds. I don't think Adamine does anything for them as far as improving right field. And I'm kind of hoping that Cleveland continues to tear down and let free agents walk. Uh, so it just makes this a two-team race rather than a three-team shuffle in the American League Central because that will enhance the White Sox odds of winning the American League Central of the only team they have to overcome is the Minnesota Twins. That's a uh, you know, pr- pretty fair way to put it right now. Um, just, I think the hope is that it's still you know early December and the White Sox can add. They have, you know, they're... I'm thinking about the Todd Frazier trade and and how they didn't add after that. The good news is that the talent is a lot sounder across the board, like lineups a lot sounder, but that just makes the lack of aggressive solutions for the few glaring holes they have just harder to ignore and, and harder to explain. So it seems like if you have you know, if you have like five positions you're trying to solve, then yeah, you try to spread a thin layer of, of potential solutions across the depth chart. But if you only have like right field DH starter, like, well, they're, you know, just invest heavily. So that's why it's hard to uh, just, yeah, it, it's, this feels like a big step back just in terms of what they were supposed to be doing and, and where they see themselves and, and whether they can just commit to completing their vision. It would be really odd if the most money they have spent on a player for this off season is a closer. Yeah. 
<laughs> but maybe that's what will happen. So we we shall see. But again, thank you so much for listening to this emergency podcast as Jim and I just convey as far as our real-time thoughts on the White Sox. Uh, two off-season acquisitions so far. Again, we give the Lance Lynn trade two thumbs up. That's a good move by the White Sox, and that definitely makes the White Sox better. Adam Eaton, right field, thumbs down, Jim. Or, okay, two thumbs down uh, as far as the White Sox signing Adam Eaton. And, uh, man, I really hope 2016 Clubhouse Adam Eaton does not reemerge. But with that interview with ESPN Radio, as far as ESPN 1000 in Chicago, hanging up as far as in the hosts, we'll see, man. We'll see as far as uh, if he's a Clubhouse distraction. And uh, what what comes to be? It's a it's an odd clubhouse fit. It's an odd lineup fit. And uh, I guess we'll we'll see if I'm wrong that if this becomes a good move. But right now, I'm not holding out hope. Well, I guess the good news there is that he did have a few. He, he stuck his foot in his mouth a few times with Washington, and they won a World Series. So <laughs> yeah, he yeah. won't be counted on to be the guy. That's true. He's. It's not like in 2015 and 2016 where Adam Eaton was one of the best players in the White Sox. That is a good point, Jim. He is far, far down the pecking order as far as importance to the 2021 Chicago White Sox. So I guess we'll see how it all plays out and we'll see what what other moves the White Sox have for us maybe even later this week during the virtual winter meetings or later in the month of December or into the month of January. But whatever big moves the White Sox make, you can read as far as our reports on SoxMachine.com. And Jim and I will continue to have emergency podcasts to capture our thoughts in close to real time on when the signings and trades do happen. But again, thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Emergency Sox Machine podcast. As the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Macy's Star Money Bonus Days are happening now. It's a special time when Star Rewards members earn bonus points and get to their next reward faster. You'll get $10 in star money for every $50 spent with a Macy's card or $10 for every $100 spent as a bronze member. Shop spring styles and get rewarded with star money. Now through April 18th, Macy's Star Rewards. It's how we love you back. Visit Macy's.com slash star money for exclusions and details. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.